every one of you who confesses Jesus as Lord of the universe signs up for a significance beyond anything you ever dreamed. And I mean business men and women here, homemakers, students. To belong to Jesus is to embrace the nations. Your heart was made for this. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Made for Missions podcast, a ministry of 1-8 Catalyst, where we are pursuing the completion of the Great Commission worldwide. To learn more about our work or to listen to previous episodes, please visit our website at 1-8, spelled out in word form, catalyst.org. That's 1-8-catalyst.org. Thanks for joining us. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us for this, the 77th episode of the Made for Missions podcast. I am your host, Mike Falkenstein, here today without my co-host, Ken Watmore, mainly because we have an interview episode, another interview episode for you. Today, we're interviewing Dave Runyon, who actually lives just in the Denver metro area with us here at 1-8 Catalyst, and so it's great to get to know him a little better on the podcast. Dave is the co-founder and director of City Unite which helps government, business, and faith leaders unite around common causes. He's been a pastor. He was pastor of Foothills Community Church and Next Level Church in the Arvada area. And I wanted to interview him particularly because of his work on a book that we've really appreciated and mentioned on the podcast a number of times called The Art of Neighboring. And The Art of Neighboring is probably the best book that I've read if you just want kind of first steps on how to effectively begin to reach your neighbors. And so on this interview episode, I talked to Dave a little bit about how he and Jay, his co-author, got to a point where they really began to understand that maybe the great commandment of loving your neighbors of yourself, that Jesus may have actually wanted us to love our neighbors as ourselves. And so so we talk about that. He gives some very practical advice about how to do that. Just a great interview episode, so I would highly recommend it. If you want to get in touch with Dave, you just go to artofneighboring.com. We mention that web link a number of times. They've got resources to kind of help you get started. So Dave, thanks for being here. Thank you all for listening to our podcast, and I'll be back for a a couple of closing comments after the interview. Well, everyone, thank you so much for joining us for this latest episode of the Made for Missions podcast. And again, we've got another interview episode. I have with me Dave Runyon, the author, co-author of a book that we've just really appreciated here at the podcast called The Art of Neighboring. And Dave, I know you've got other things that you're doing as well with your life and other than just the the book. So first of all, thank you for coming on the podcast. Why don't you give folks just a quick two or three minute overview of who you are, your work, your ministry life, and uh, just give a little introduction. You bet, Mike. It's great to be here. So I spend most of my time now helping faith, business, and government leaders work together in the Denver metro area. And we do that trying to focus and kind of build a network of networks throughout the city where basically pastors and priests are becoming friends together and they begin to think about how could we serve locally. Pretty big focus on the vulnerable people in our communities. And so that's what I'm spending most of my time doing now. 
And before this, I served as a pastor here in the Denver metro area for about 10 years. Worked at two great churches and enjoyed my time there, but then I just got the bug for John 17 and for unity, and God's led me down this road to what I'm doing now. Well, that's great. That sounds exciting. So I wanted to talk a little bit about this book that you've co-wrote, and uh, I've uh, passed it along to a bunch of other folks. Certainly it meets our criteria in terms of, you know, what we're looking to accomplish with our podcast. And we, as I just mentioned to you, we've done a couple of uh, additional episodes about reaching your neighbors. And actually, some of that content was taken from your book. And so why don't you give us a little idea of how you and Jay came to a point where you understood the, I think you talk quite a bit about as you reach your neighbors, it's actually great commandment fulfillment, right? And we could also say it's great commission fulfillment as well. So give folks just kind of an idea of how you guys got to this point, what what happened in relation to, yeah, this reaching your neighbors thing is working and we'd love to share it with others. Uh, Give folks a quick overview of kind of how you guys got to that point. Sure. Well, while I was serving as a pastor up here in Arvada, which is a suburb just to the northwest side of Denver. We started to gather with faith leaders and think about the city and pray about the city, dream about the city. And then we realized that we didn't really know our community that well. We didn't know the city of Arvada that well, which is kind of an indictment on you when you're a pastor. But we, (laughs) we began to reach out to local government leaders and just to ask them, would you show us the city through your eyes? Would you help us understand where you feel stuck? If we were going to mobilize all of the people in our different congregations, what should we mobilize them towards? And so as we started to ask those questions, we're spending time with the police chief, with the city manager. And about eight years ago, we were in a room with our mayor and his wife, and we had just asked him to share with us. And we asked him to share what his dream for the city was. We asked him to share where he felt stuck and if he could wave a magic wand, what would he change? And he had a lot of great insights for us about ways that we could help people in need in our community. But at the very end of that time, as we're all sitting there in the room, he just made this passing comment about neighboring. He basically said, if you really want to change our city, you should try to start some kind of a neighboring movement with all the people that go to your churches. And then he was just going to move on and start coming to them. We're like, whoa, 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 go back to that. We want to hear more about that. And he started to just share with us about the power of literal neighboring and that from a city lens, it makes a lot of sense because when people know each other on their block or in their apartment complex or wherever they live, they begin to do these things that, that provide care for one another that takes weight off of all the systems that the government is trying to prop up for people that are in need. That was a pretty interesting thought for us <laughs> on a number of levels. One, it was an interesting thought that when people know their neighbors, they call the city less because they actually are in relationship and they start to care for each other and do small things for each other that make a big difference over time. They shovel the neighbor's driveway that is elderly or that just had a stroke. They're looking out for that single mom and for their kids. They're, instead of just calling the city to complain about a broken fence, they actually start to walk across the street and talk to each other. So we started to realize, wow, this is something that our city really values. And at the same time, we're also thinking, oh, no, our mayor is telling us to do the Bible. He's like our mayor mayor is telling a bunch of pastors, you should actually do the love your neighbor thing. It would be one of the smartest things you could do for our city. And so that was a pretty powerful moment. Yeah. 
I'm sure it was. So it sounds like that might be a, because, you know, we're going to get to sort of first steps as to how folks could begin to do this. But I've just made a note that that could be a good standard thing for churches around the country to do, right? Just to go to begin to go to government leaders and ask them, how can we serve your city? Yeah. And I would say not just churches, I would say groups of churches. I think it gets a little bit overwhelming for government leaders when every church is trying to set up an appointment. The idea of coming together with a diverse group of people, of leaders, and inviting city leaders to come and share is, it's a best practice. You can't go wrong. And you'll be shocked that whoever you ask will always show up if you tell them that there's going to be a group of faith leaders in the room because they actually care. They want to, they see, they know that the church is the sleeping giant of volunteerism. And so they will, I've never heard of a time when the faith leaders of a city have gathered and invited in a civic leader and the civic leaders just said, no, I'm not going to show up. It just never happened. Oh, right. So you went to your, the mayor and he essentially, as you said, he's telling you essentially to do the great commission, right? So what did you guys do with that? What were the next steps? Well, the first next step was we realized how poor we were at it as individuals. As pastors, we started to share how engaged we were in our own neighborhoods. And it was pretty bad news. Like most of us were just beat up and tired and we're going hard and we're involved in way too many things. And so we would come home and just try to rally ourselves with our own kids and family. And we just weren't doing a lot for the most part. Now, there's about 22 pastors or different lead pastors in the room. And most of us, there's some exceptions, most of us weren't doing much when it came to building relationships with our literal neighbors. And so the first step was kind of recognizing that and saying, you know what, we've, we've missed the boat. We're making our living by helping people live out the teachings of Jesus. And we're not even taking seriously or literally the most important teaching. So that was step one. That wasn't a fun step. Step two was <laughs> trying to make a commitment to go, how do we do some small things as leaders to get us down this road? And so we just started, we made a commitment to start learning and retaining and using the names of the people that live around us. And that's really been the secret to everything that's happened in our community. Because as we started to do that, as we started to make a commitment to learn and retain and use people's names, it started to take that. It just started to get a little bit of momentum going. And for many of us, we started to experience some small things that were happening in our own neighborhood. And when we started to see the fruit of that, we got really excited about actually sharing this with the people that show up to all of our churches. And so we just started to ask them to do very small things that ended up making a really big difference in their neighborhoods. That's great. Yeah, what you're mentioning in terms of first steps that you all did reminds me of, uh, we've had a a good friend of mine, Dudley Callison, who's also here in the Denver area. And he is probably the one guy who has done this best of the people that I know. And he often mentions that he just began to get to know his neighbor's names and begin to ask him about their story, kind of just with this idea that eventually that they would ask his story as well. And he and you and I can't tell our story without mentioning our faith, right? And so is that sure. kind of what you guys began to do in your, your neighborhood as well? Yeah, you know, I didn't even do that for, to start with, because I think for me as a person, as a pastor, I'm working from a deficit with my neighbors that aren't involved in church or a faith community. When you do this for a living, you're suspect from the start. So the only thing I did for, for a while was just show up and be normal and just try, you know, just not be weird. Like that was like the main thing that like I was trying to figure out how to do. And it was just a lot of small touches. It's just being able to 
stop and, and spend time in your own neighborhood. That was a big starting point. Just actually be available, be around. Most of us live at a pace where we're not really available. We're not even interruptible. And so that was something that this whole idea of neighboring confronted for me personally. And then I just started to, my neighbors were already gathering in different places. I didn't have to start throwing block parties in my neighborhood. I just had to start showing up to the stuff that was already going on. And so it was was small, low bar stuff. It wasn't, you know, big dramatic swings. It was just a consistent movement in the same direction. That's really great. Yeah, it's great. They were already doing stuff that sounds like that made it a little easier for you, right? It did. Yeah, it really did. That's great. And so, so then you begin showing up to some things and then over time, I'm interested to know the, because of course, obviously the, what you guys mentioned in your book and what it always seems that is the hardest leap is to go from showing up to stuff, being intentional about being in your front yard. There's a pastor in Dallas that I admire who's mentioned that sometimes the most missional thing you can do is just go walk your dog. Right. The idea being that you're just out, you kind of mentioned the same thing, just kind of being in your neighborhood, walking around, saying hello to people, right. being friendly, all of this. So going from that to, man, we really do want to share Jesus. So talk about that just for a minute, because that's always the big bridge, right? That's the gap that people, oh, yeah, I can be in my neighborhood and whatnot, but talking to them about Jesus is a whole other thing, right? So yeah. talk about kind of that bridge and what you experienced and kind of your, your advice to others to bridge that gap? Yeah, I think this is a crucial, crucial question because our motives really matter in this thing. And we learned this really, really early on. And I think there's two grave errors that people make when Christians make when they start thinking about their neighborhood and thinking missionally. And one of the errors would be, we think, you know what, I'm just doing this. The only reason I'm building relationship is so that I can have some conversation with my neighbors about heaven and hell or about Jesus or about eternity or whatever. And if you go in with that approach, your neighbors will sniff it out right away. They can tell and they're waiting for it. I mean, the the sad reality is like if when a Christian does something nice for a non-Christian in our culture, oftentimes the non-Christian starts bracing for what weird things getting ready to happen to them. They're waiting for the other (laughs) shoe to drop. And I wish that wasn't the case, but that is the case. We need to like live in that reality and know that there's been a lot of things that have happened and things that people in our tribe have done that have created some real apprehension from non-Christians about building relationships with us. And I think that, so when we go in and it's cooking uh, up some brownies, taking them over to the new neighbors, asking them what their names are, and then asking them if they know where, if they're gonna, you know, where they're going to go when they die, it comes off as, and God's big. God can use anything. I don't want to say that. I'm just saying in my right. experience, in our experience up here, that has not been an effective way to build relationship with people. And so I think that's one, that's one great error. The other error is you just end up hanging out in your driveway, having drinks with your neighbor for 10 years, and you never talk about the things that really matter mm. most to you. And I, we see a lot of people that fall into this trap. Everything just stays on the surface. And they don't ever talk about the things that they say matter most. And that's not just spiritual things. I'm talking about they just don't know how to go deeper than the surface level. They don't know how to talk about things like what they're learning about parenting 
how they ended up in the occupation that they ended up in. I mean, it's just everything just stays at that surface level. And so I think both of those are grave errors. My ultimate goal, I want to see everybody come into and follow Jesus. Like, I, I want to see everybody in my life do that. That is my ultimate goal. But when things get weird is when we start having ulterior motives. And so what we've learned is this, kind of counterintuitive. If you go into this thing thinking this is an evangelism deal, it rarely is. You go into this thinking this is a discipline, that God has called you to love your neighbor. And even if your neighbor never takes a step towards God, the command to love your neighbor still stands. When people go in with that attitude, the soil for spiritual conversations is ripe, and they happen all over the place. And so it's kind of a counterintuitive deal. If you think this is going to be an evangelism tool, it's not. If you think it's going to be a discipleship, it's a discipline, it's a spiritual formation deal, it actually ends up creating a lot of space for evangelism to happen. And that's been a dance that I've seen happen personally in my own neighborhood, and it's seen happen for thousands of people they started to engage in their own neighborhood. So my buddy, Eric Swanson, he wrote a book called To Transform the City. He also wrote a book called The Externally Focused Church. He, he likes to say, listen, we don't do this to convert people. We do this because we're converted. And that is the key posture for the neighbors that I see that are really building communities and relationships that have depth to them and that go below the surface. Okay, so just quickly, let me just ask another question about that. So because, boy, it sure seems almost like it's sort of the fine beat, right? Because on one hand, you do want to be salt and light, and you do want to eventually say something, but it sounds like you're saying, hey, just hang in there, continue to pray for your neighbors, and is that kind of where, is it sort of a, you need the right to be heard? They need to know you. Yeah, a little. You're really about bit, them right? more, or... Yeah, I would say a little bit. Yeah. I would say that more like this is that we need to be kind of people as believers that are living at depth with our neighbors in all things. We oftentimes just think, you know what? We had you over for one meal. We talked about the Broncos. And then now I'm just going to dive straight into, hey, let's talk about like where you're going to spend eternity. And what I'm saying is that's great. But you know what? Why don't you also care about What's happening in their family of origin? What's actually shaped them to be the person that they are today? Once you also care about what are the things that they're really passionate about and interested in? And I really feel like this. I feel like as Christian leaders, a lot of times, we always are equipping people, thinking about evangelism, and then we're always shocked at how few of our people actually do it. And the reason, I think, is because we're asking them to jump off the high dive. We're asking them to have these surfacey relationships with people that, don't yet know God, and then we're saying, hey, jump off the high dive and have your first conversation of death be about how you, about spiritual things and about Jesus or, and redemption and all of that stuff. And I think a lot of our people just look at us and go, no, I'm not going to do that. That feels too intimidating. I've got fear around that or it feels weird. And I think what we should be doing is saying, we need to be living at death with people. Yes, we do need to be having conversations about spiritual things and about Jesus, but in order to do that in our culture, in our day, we need to build real relationships, real relationships or relationships that are two-way streets. They're not just, I'm going and serving somebody and then giving them many sermons. They're relationships where I'm actually building reciprocal relationships and trust with people. And even if they aren't interested in having a conversation about God, I'm going to continue to pursue them if they're open and continue to lean into their life. 
And I just feel like so oftentimes a lot of people, it's just I'm doing this because I have this other thing in mind, and it comes off as almost a bait and switch. So I talk to my neighbors about Jesus and life of God all the time. And I also talk to them about other things that are going on in their lives that are, that are way below the surface, struggles that they're having with their dad or their mom or a son who's moved back in or joys that they're celebrating as they're watching a relative, you know, brother or sister have success. We're talking about everything below the surface, not just, hey, how do you view the world? How do you think about God? You know, have you ever thought about being a part of a, a local church or at least coming and seeing my local church. That's all part of it, but it's not, it's not the only thing of depth that's being talked about. It's just leaning in, leaning in, leaning in, and continue to look for the ways of, you know, where is the spirit moving? And it's also knowing and being aware of one of my neighbors just has a ton of baggage around Christianity and around church. And he's waiting for me to try to, like, debate him. And he's waiting for me to try to, like, try to drag him to church. And what he really wants is just conversation. Wow. There's a lot there. That's good. And I would just note what I've heard, what I heard you say, maybe without even saying it is get into these relationships and it may be years and you're faithful and whatever. And yes, you're talking about Jesus, but they may never, according to what you know, come to faith. And you have to be kind of okay with that too. Right. I mean, for sure. And they may not even want to be your friend. And some of my neighbors are just really busy. They don't really want to hang out. So I just real. I used to try to chase them and do all that kind of stuff. I just realized, you know what? There's people of peace that are living around me. And I'm looking for where are those people of peace? And I keep leaning in to see if the door's cracked, but I'm not trying to like kick it down or force myself on them. That's right. That's good. So before the time gets too away from us, Dave, thank you so much for all of this. We, well, I wanted to talk a little bit about kind of and we've kind of danced around kind of first steps. I know that uh, one of the things I've appreciated about the Art of Neighboring book is all of the resources that you guys, guys have online, which people can find at artofneighboring.com. And so I'm looking at the resources page, and so you've got the, some pretty neat resources here. So I'm wondering if someone looks at this block map, for example, and I know you've talked about it in the book, but... So someone downloads the block map and they begin to map out the people that are living close to us, close to them. Really the first step in that is, I mean, the reason for that is you just, it's really a, a prayer tool, isn't that, for you to be in praying for your neighbors? That's right. Well, I mean, it, it's really a tool to help you keep your neighbors in front of you. It's a tool to, the block map is the key to almost everything we did. And it was a tool to, like, learn your neighbor's names, to use your neighbor's names when you see them. And just to keep your neighbors in front of you. So we just have people put it on their fridge. It's just a really simple tic-tac-toe board. And mm-hmm. it just gives you like, hey, write down your neighbor's names. Most Christians don't know their actual neighbor's names. They've met them all, but they, weren't just, they just weren't important enough for them to remember their names. And so the block wow. map tool is a tool that keeps your neighbors in front of you. And if you throw it on your fridge and you learn your neighbor's names and you go over and admit and go, you know what? I've lived next to you for two years. I've met you three times. I'm really sorry. I forgot your name. And if you just write it down, all of a sudden, those people go from just certain people who drive certain types of cars with a certain number of kids to real people with real stories and real lives. And it's the first step that gets people moving. 
it's that first piece, you know, what a buddy of mine says, it's like stepping on a moving sidewalk. You step one foot on that thing, and then oftentimes it just starts taking you down the road. And so what we've learned is, you know, we've done all kinds of stuff around this, but we've got people tools and challenge people to do block parties, but we keep going back to this block map and saying, would you be willing to just make a commitment to learn and retain and use your neighbor's names and then pray and say, God, what's the next step that you want me to take with one of my neighbors? And once you mm-hmm. identify that, to just say, all right, I'm going to take that step. And it's just taking the, the second half of the great commandment and saying, I'm just going to make it incredibly concrete and lay out some next steps, and I'm going to actually go do it. Taking the most basic thing that Jesus said to do, or the second half of it, I mean, obviously, loving God with everything you have mm-hmm. is the first, you know, commandment. But, and he says, and this, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And so we're just making it incredibly concrete and saying, what if we just did it? What if we actually identified practical ways to begin to live this out and then started to taking the next step? That's great. <laughs> You're right. It's easy to not know your neighbor's names, isn't it? Yeah, for most Christians, the next step is learning the names. For a lot of Christians, it's like, hey, that couple that we've been saying we're going to have over for two years, what if we actually had them over? For others, the next step is, hey, I can tell my neighbor is, like, lonely and is, like, looking for somebody to, like, at least just talk to a little bit, you know, for 30 seconds or whatever it is, then go and do that. Most people, if you just pray that prayer, like, God, what's the next small step that you want me to take with one of my neighbors? We found that God will put something on their heart, and then we're just encouraging people to do that. That's awesome. And then I notice on the resources page, you guys have something called the Block Party Kit. And so that's a kind of a next level step, right, if you're going to actually have a, a block party. Yeah, I think maybe, so, in your, maybe in your apartment, your block, there's no catalyst that's bringing people together. What would it look like if Christians were that catalyst to bring people together and a block party, watching a game together, those are all things that provide people those soft touches where they start to get to know each other a little bit more. And then ideally – that the block party is just a tool that leads you towards relationship, towards having meals with people, spending time with people. You know, the block party is, it's not the end game, it's a means to the end. Right. It's just the next step. And then I noticed that you can have, I think everything else on here is sort of four churches. So you've got a three week sermon series, six week small group study. Again, you're, it sounds like, it looks like you're trying to make it easy for this to become something that a church embraces and the leaders of that church then encourage others to do. So do you have just a quick little something for church leaders that are listening to kind of the first steps to making this a church-wide movement? Yeah, I mean, I think the first thing I would recommend is do this with others. Like the the, Jesus' prayer for unity, you know, right? His last recorded prayer of the free man, he prays for us and he prays for unity. He says, when there's unity among believers, people that don't know God will be drawn towards him. And so I think, I think doing this as a church is good. I think doing this and beginning to build relational equity between groups of churches that are located in the same place is where the real magic happens. And so I, you know, most of what we've done was successful because there's 20-plus churches doing it together. And it mm. created a created an element of curiosity from people inside and outside the church. They were like, oh, my goodness, these churches are actually acting like they're on the same team. And that shouldn't be weird. That shouldn't be an anomaly. It should be the norm. But it isn't right now. It's still shocking for people when they see churches working together. 
And so I think there's something really powerful about that. And so one of the tabs here is starting a joint church movement. So I'm assuming there's resources for groups of churches to learn how to do that, right? Yeah, you bet. That's great. So the book is available wherever books are sold, I'm assuming. Obviously, I've mentioned the website. Dave, give folks other places they can get in touch with you. Would, would the website be best? Or do you like getting yeah, you uh, of, content on Twitter or other places? Yeah, if you go to artofneighboring.com, it'll give you a lot of resources. And there's a contact page. You can get in touch with us. You can, If you want to go through this with a small group, you can buy packages of books or whatever at a discounted price. But if you just want to buy the book and get a feel for it, you can just go on Amazon. But I would just say this to reiterate, the block map, the little tool that helps you to learn your neighbor's name, that's a hundred times better than the book. Now, I'm not saying the book's not good. I'm just saying the whole, <laughs> key to what happened, the whole key of what happened to us was this little simple tool. And the other thing I think that happens when people start thinking about literal neighboring, and you've probably come across this in a lot of your work, a lot mm-hmm. of people will go, you know, I just don't have time for that. I, I spend more time at work than I do in my neighborhood, and I'm building relationships with the parents on my kid's soccer team, or I love the rescue mission, and I go down and serve there. Those are all great things, and clearly in Jesus' economy, that is neighboring. When you care for the person in front of you, you're neighboring. But all of that doesn't somehow like sprinkle magic fairy dust over your neighborhood, and all of a sudden Jesus wasn't talking about those people. And I lived my life a lot like that, just choosing how I wanted to neighbor. And I think deep down, I just knew, you know what? My neighbors are always there. They're there when I leave home. They're there when I come back from home. A lot of them don't have the same interests that I do. A lot of them are in different seasons of life. You make up all kinds of excuses to get out of this. And ironically, I think that's what the teacher does when he goes to Jesus, right? He says, Jesus, what must I do to her eternal life? Jesus looks at him and says, well, what do you think the answer is? This is Luke 10. He gives the answer. This guy, you know, gives the perfect answer back to Jesus for his own question. And Jesus looks at him and says, yes, do this. Love God with you have. Love your name as yourself. Do this and you will live. And then the next sentence, it says this. It says, but in order to justify himself, he asks Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And what he does in that moment, he's looking for a way out. And how he tries to find yeah. a way out is by defining, he wants to define the word neighbor so that it most easily fits into what he's already doing. And I think this is what I did for a lot of my life as a pastor. I think this is what most Christians do. We want to make the idea of loving your neighbor abstract and metaphoric. And when we do that, we distance ourselves from the real power of it. We figure out ways to go, yeah, that's a great idea. Man, Jesus, that was smart. You know, what a great saying. But then we don't actually do it. We we don't make it concrete. And we lose the genius of the great commandment that when you do start to build relationships with people who are different than you, you're guaranteeing that you're going to be hanging out with people who don't think about the world the way that you do. When you don't build proximity-based relationships, you just end up drifting into relationships where people are a lot like you and they think about the world the way that you do. And I think if we know anything from what's going on in our culture right now and how polarized everybody is, that one of the best ways that you can do to defend against that is by building these proximity-based relationships. I mean, I have friends who think about politics and the world in radically different ways than I do, and we're still friends, and we still have really significant conversations. And that's been the gift from the neighboring thing to me. That's great. That's really great. Yeah, thanks for that. That's wonderful. Well, I would encourage everyone to go to the website. Of course, pick up a copy of the book. I know with our own ministry, we're buying multiple copies, and 
it's a great little handout as we want to get more people involved in this. So Dave, thanks so much for your time today. And we'd love to have you back from time to time as we have people uh, coming back to us and trial and error and whatnot. So we, you know, we'd love to pose some more questions to you as we all go uh, down the same road. You bet, Mike. It's been great to be on. I love what you're up to. Let me thank Dave Runyon again for coming on the podcast. I sure appreciate it, Dave. And I hope all of you really enjoyed the episode. This episode was an interesting one because it wasn't quite long enough to do two episodes. So I apologize. It's a little bit longer a single episode. But as you can tell, there was a reason for that, right? We had some just such good content from Dave, such practical advice. And so again, we always talk about in here at the Made for Missions podcast that the Great Commission is a normative command for all Christians. And certainly one of the very first steps you can take towards the obedience towards that, the Great Commission, is just being good at reaching your neighbors. And Dave Runyon and his co-author, Jay do a fantastic job in the book, so may I just really recommend that you go through the book. If you go to the Art of Neighboring website, as we've mentioned in the podcast, there are a number of resources, including how you can do a sort of a church-wide movement in your church. Some There's even a three-sermon series that they give you in terms of notes for that, a lot of resources. So, Dave, again, thanks for being here. Thank you all for listening in on our podcast. Be sure to share this with those in your social media circles, and we'll look forward to having you on the next episode of the Made for Missions podcast. Thanks all. 